This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, let the people decide. That was the spirit behind the Elon Musk Twitter poll on whether or not to restore former President Donald Trump's account. But does he want to return? The Republican Jewish Coalition held an event in Las Vegas this weekend. Many GOP presidential hopefuls showed up, all except one. We have the highlights. The Cary Lake Katie Hobbs election saga continues. The Arizona Attorney General's office has questions about what went down in Maricopa County and it demands answers. A deadly earthquake strikes Indonesia's Java Island today. It killed over 40 people and injured at least 700 others. Celebrations in Ecuador. Their team beat host nation Qatar at the opening match of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. We have more on the first ever World Cup hosted by an Arab nation. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Good morning. Today is Monday, November 21st. Well, we kick off the show with Twitter. Twitter has reinstated former President Donald Trump's account. That was late Saturday after a poll run by new owner Elon Musk showed a slim majority voting in support of Trump's return. But just earlier in the day, Trump indicated that he had no interest in returning to Twitter. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. Former President Donald Trump says that despite the decision by Musk, he's doing just fine right where he is. Truth Social. Uh, is is through the roof. It's doing phenomenally well. Trump's comments came as some 15 million Twitter users voted in a poll organized by Musk. Around 52% voted in favor of reinstating his account. After the results were announced, Musk tweeted, the people have spoken. Twitter banned Trump in January 2021 following the breach of the U.S. Capitol. Trump then had his own Truth Social app developed and made that his main source of direct communication with his followers. Speaking via video link at a Republican Jewish coalition meeting earlier on Saturday, Trump said he believed his platform had better engagement than Twitter and that he would stick with it. Truth Social has been very, very powerful, very, very strong. He says Twitter has a lot of bots and a lot of fake accounts. Musk had first said in May he planned to reverse the ban on Trump but afterwards sought to ease advertisers' concerns by saying he would set up a content moderation council composed of people with widely diverse viewpoints. Musk said no account would be reinstated before the council convened and until there was a clear process for doing so. There has been no new information about the council or process. Musk on Saturday tweeted, New Twitter policy is freedom of speech but not freedom of reach. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Republican Jewish Coalition held an event in Las Vegas over the weekend. Featured speakers included Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, among others. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what the potential presidential candidates had to say. Pompeo, Pence, Haley, and DeSantis are widely considered likely presidential candidates in 2024. While some spoke of the GOP's accomplishments in Israel and the Middle East during their time in office, others alluded to a future push for the White House. I've never lost an election, and I'm not going to start now. Former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley says now that the midterms are over, she will be looking at running in a serious way. 
She says right now the number one national security threat is China. She emphasized the importance of maintaining a strong military. China is closer than ever to invading Taiwan. It's in the process of building military that rivals our own. And you want to know what our military is doing? Gender pronoun classes. She again hinted at a presidential run when voicing opposition to the idea of renewing the Iran nuclear deal. And if Biden succeeds in getting back in the Iran deal, I will make you a promise. I've said it before. The next president will shred it on her first day in office. Former Vice President Mike Pence also condemned the Biden administration's attempt to re-enter negotiations for a nuclear deal with Iran. If the Biden administration signs a new nuclear deal with the mullahs in Tehran, I promise you, the next American president will be a Republican and the next American president will tear up that deal on day one. Pence blamed the Biden administration for the state of the economy, high inflation and gas prices, crime rates, and the border crisis. He questioned if they were intentionally trying to weaken America at home and abroad. Weakness arouses evil. The disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, the return to appeasement with Iran, sending a message of weakness around the world. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo also underscored the need for a strong military. Our adversaries are watching. I can assure you that the Chinese army right now is not conducting diversity, equity, and inclusion training. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis worked up the crowd, touting his accomplishments as governor. He suggested Florida should be used as a roadmap when it comes to how elections are run and for dealing with vaccine mandates. DeSantis says the state of Florida chose freedom over Fauciism. We ban vaccine passports in the state of Florida. We refuse, we refuse to let anybody lose their job over a decision to take a COVID shot. And we passed legislation to protect. And we also prohibited any mandates for COVID shots on school children. That is a parent's decision. Former President Trump also spoke but did not attend in person. He appeared through a video call and broadcast his accomplishments as president, like withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal, moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, and withdrawing the U.S. from the United Nations Human Rights Council in protest. Currently, some of the world's worst human rights abusers sit on the council, including Cuba, China, Somalia, and Venezuela. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. NTD livestream the event. You can find it on our website and at NTD.com and on our YouTube channel. Now let's go to the governor's race in Arizona between Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs. The Arizona Attorney General's Elections Integrity Unit sent a letter to Maricopa County. It demands answers on problems that took place on Election Day. The letter cites hundreds of complaints received since November 8th. It says the complaints, quote, go beyond pure speculation and include first-hand witness accounts that raise concerns regarding Maricopa County's lawful compliance with Arizona election law. NTD's Daniel Monahan has that story. Our election officials failed us miserably. Maricopa County election officials say at least 60 of 223 voting locations experienced technical problems related to ballot printers having non-uniform printer configuration settings. Tabulators could not read some ballots due to those settings. 
County officials estimate the technical problems may have impacted more than 17,000 ballots on Election Day. Carrie Lake collected accounts from voters that she posted on Twitter. It took Sharissa nearly four hours to vote after arriving at 5.45 a.m. before work. She was told to put her ballot into Box 3 but refused. Box 3 is the compartment used when the machines can't scan the votes. It does not matter how you voted. It's an absolute disgrace what happened and Maricopa County needs to be held accountable. The letter from the Elections Integrity Unit requested multiple items including a comprehensive log of all changes to the printer configuration settings. That's to include the identity of individuals making changes. Kevin Vembry describes his experience at the Deer Valley School District office. They were saying that the uh, tabulating machines were down. But the poll worker proceeded to give me addresses which were way out, which seemed like they were way out of the way. Almost sounded like she was trying to dissuade me from voting. Tiffany described what her son says happened after he registered to vote at Arizona State University. Before election day, he actually got a text from a group at ASU that offered him $250 if he would rally his friends together to vote Democrat. She says there were problems at the polling place on election day. They were going down the line telling people to leave and that their vote was not going to be counted. Even though he was there at about 6.20 p.m., they were saying he wouldn't make it in by 7. Carrie Lake shared this unverified video on Twitter, which appears to show the scene at one of the voting centers where an apparent worker estimates that the tabulator is only working on about one in every 30 ballots. Not that they're going through, they're just not going through the tabulator. Right, so 29 out of every 30 ballots are being dropped into a box. The same box that they're dropping into with the tabulator, right. and it's being counted just like these mail-in ballots are being counted. Maricopa County Board of Supervisors Chairman Bill Gates says the problems did not impact Republican-leaning areas more than Democrat ones. We found that the 70 vote centers that were impacted by the printer issues were spread all across Maricopa County. It took Larry Santangelo about 90 minutes to get into his polling location in Anthem. And as we were on the line, there was this woman who was coming down the line who already voted, and she was explaining to us that they're playing games inside, claiming the printers don't work, tabulators aren't working, and they want you to put your vote in box three. Santangelo says the woman was being followed by a Board of Elections official yelling, don't believe this woman. He says his ballot was repeatedly rejected by the tabulator. He was asked to put it in box three where it could be counted downtown, but he refused because he felt it meant they would throw his vote in the trash. They blamed the printer. They did blame the printer, but it was probably planned. Just to frustrate you to leave. That's what I feel. This man lives at a 55 and older community in Maricopa County. He arrived 15 minutes before opening time at the voting center. Once inside and my ballot was filled out, I turned around and the line was at least 20 people at the tabulators because of the functioning, ill-functioning tabulators that should have been properly tested and ready. I believe it was a form of voter suppression. Katie Hobbs, the current Secretary of State, is the top election official in the state. As overseer of elections, she has several duties, including watching the counts and certifying the election results. Carrie Lake had called out the conflict of interest many times before the election. Hobbs addressed the matter on CNN on November 4th. I'm not going to recuse myself from the job that the voters elected me to do. Bill Gates responded to calls to redo the election. He says that Arizona law requires that all 15 county boards of supervisors across the state must conduct a canvas and decide whether to approve the canvas. 
A canvas is an official tally of the votes. We will invite people from around the community to speak, and finally, we will decide whether to approve the official canvas. Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright says the issues are related to Maricopa County's ability to lawfully certify election results and requested a response from the county by November 28th. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Just ahead, a suspect has been arrested in the Colorado nightclub shooting that killed five and injured 25. Police say the shooting was halted thanks to the actions of two heroic individuals. And soccer fans in Ecuador are celebrating. Their team beat hosting nation Qatar at the opening match of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. It marks the first ever defeat by a host nation in the opening round. Get the details right here at NTD Good Morning. Welcome back. A suspected gunman opened fire inside a Colorado LGBT nightclub. The gunman was stopped by two patrons at the club in Colorado Springs, but he killed five and injured 25 others before being subdued. The suspect has been identified as 22-year-old Anderson Lee Aldrich, who was taken into custody later that evening. The shooting began just before midnight on Saturday at the Club Q nightclub. In a Facebook post, the club called the shooting a hate attack. Authorities said they're investigating whether the attack was motivated by hate. Two firearms were found at the scene. While the suspect was inside of the club, at least two heroic people inside the club confronted and fought with the suspect and were able to stop, stop the suspect from continuing to kill and harm others. We owe them a great debt of thanks. At least two firearms were found at the scene. We are still working to identify the firearms and who and who they belong to, but I can confirm that the suspect used a long rifle during the shooting. The shooting brought back memories of the massacre in the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida in 2016 that killed 49 people. It remains the second deadliest mass shooting in modern U.S. history. Residents in western New York are still digging out after getting pummeled with more than six feet of snow in a matter of days. The snowfall led to flight cancellations in the Buffalo area and road closures just ahead of the busy Thanksgiving holiday week. The wintry scene in Hamburg, New York on Sunday could almost be idyllic. But with more than six feet of snow reported in parts of the region in a matter of days, People here know it will take a ton of work to dig out. Mike Miller was getting to it on Saturday. Despite staring down a snow pile nearly as tall as him, he said he's seen worse. I've been through several, and I would say this is probably the third most amount of snow I've seen. Squalls began blowing in from Lake Erie and Lake Ontario on Thursday. The state's second largest city of Buffalo more than doubled its previous one-day snowfall record on Saturday, with more than 16 inches, according to the National Weather Service. There have been flight cancellations and road closures. Even kids were having a hard time finding a silver lining. It would be like, like a window wonderland, but with like no candy. About 150 National Guard members had been deployed to help with snow removal. New York Governor Kathy Hochul said on Saturday, she said a request for a federal emergency declaration is also in the works. So far, at least two people have died of apparent heart attacks while shoveling. And the snow may not let up just yet. 
According to the National Weather Service, conditions could persist through Monday morning. In southern Florida, at least five migrants were killed after their homemade vessel capsized about 50 miles off the coast of Little Torch Key. The Coast Guard said at least 19 people were aboard the boat when it capsized on Saturday. The passengers were left in six to eight feet of water and in wind speeds of up to 30 miles per hour. Nine people have been rescued, some of them wearing life jackets that saved their lives. The Coast Guard did not identify their country of origin. However, it did link the U.S. Embassy in Cuba Twitter account in their tweets about the incident. Going to some business news, former Walt Disney CEO Bob Iger is returning to head the company for another two years. I think we're extraordinarily encouraged by the... He's replacing Bob Chapek, who was fired by surprise after the company posted lower-than-expected earnings in the last quarter. Chapek has been in Hollywood's limelight over cost-cutting measures and sometimes blunt approach to talent, as well as price hikes in the theme park. Iger previously served as CEO of the company from 2005 to 2020. He said in a statement he was thrilled to return and extremely optimistic about Disney's future. More business news. Cryptocurrency exchange FTX says it owes its 50 biggest creditors more than $3 billion. That's according to a bankruptcy filing on Saturday. The creditors' names have been redacted from the court documents, but are believed to include major firms like Sequoia Capital and BlackRock. Top creditors are owed at least $100 million each. The Bahamas-based cryptocurrency exchange will present more information before a U.S. bankruptcy judge on Tuesday. The collapse of FTX has caused an estimated 1 million individual investors substantial losses. The Royal Bahamas Police Force is also investigating the company's collapse for possible criminal misconduct. On a whole nother topic, an earthquake shook Indonesia's main island of Java on Monday, killing at least 46 people and injured at least 700 others. The magnitude 5.6 earthquake was centered in the Chianjur region in the western part of Java province. It's about 47 miles southeast of Jakarta at a depth of 6.2 miles. Several landslides were reported around Chianjur, damaging dozens of buildings, including a school, a hospital and several government buildings. The quake was felt strongly in the greater Jakarta area. High rises in the capital swayed and some residents were evacuated. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee has tested positive for COVID-19. That's what the city's government said in an announcement today. It adds that Lee is now in isolation and will be working from home. Lee tested positive after returning from the APEC summit in Bangkok. There, he met with several key officials, including Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping and Foreign Minister Wang Yi. The summit was held over November 18th and 19th. And soccer fans in Ecuador have a reason to celebrate. Their team secured a solid win at the opening match of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. It's the first World Cup to be hosted by an Arab nation. And Titi's Kost Temanes has more on this. Ecuador fans were treated to a spectacular 2-0 win over hosts Qatar at the opening match of the FIFA World Cup. Both goals were scored by veteran striker Ana Valencia nicknamed Superman in a historic first defeat against any hosting nation, with an early penalty followed by a header around half an hour into the game. The match took place at Albaid Stadium in the coastal city of Alcor. Fans who were unable to get tickets flocked south to the city of Doha to watch the match at the FIFA Fan Festival. 
Ecuador fans were thrilled to get off to a good start. I'm so happy. From the bottom of my heart, I can't believe we won 2-0 or 3-0 if they didn't call back the first goal. It's a great start. The coming matches are going to be really tough. It's great we won by two goals. We're super excited. We're a bit surprised because we didn't think it would go so well. Qualifying was a bit tough for us, as it always is in South America. It comes down to the final matches, but the fact they played this well and scored two goals, and it would have been three goals. Despite the loss, Qatar fans remained upbeat and cheerful. The opener is a high-stakes moment for the Muslim nation, after facing intense criticism over human rights abuses. Qatar is the first ever Arab nation to host a FIFA World Cup. Qatar is a great country. It has changed completely ahead of the World Cup. There are new facilities, new stadiums, ready to welcome the whole world to Qatar. At yesterday's opening ceremony, Qatar's ruler opened with a call for people of all races and orientations to put aside their differences. The ceremony was attended by Saudi Arabia's crown prince. The presidents of Egypt, Turkey and Algeria, as well as the United Nations Secretary General, were also among leaders present at the stadium. Costa Menes, NTD News. Coming up next, Chicago's 31st annual Magnificent My Lights Festival kicked off the holiday season over the weekend. We take you to the scene right after the break. Welcome back. We're continuing with Chicago's 31st annual Magnificent Mile Lights Festival. It kicked off the holiday season on Saturday. Visitors enjoyed the festivities and looked forward to reuniting with their families after two years of pandemic. Let's take a look. Holiday music and elaborate floats filled Chicago's Magnificent Mile with holiday spirit on Saturday. In contrast to the frigid temperature, people were enthusiastic about the holidays. A quartet sang Christmas carols to the visitors, and they were happy to get back together. There's a lot of energy in the air this year. People can get out and be together, although safely still, but... but uh, we're seeing everyone is really excited this year. Happy holidays from Holiday Harmony! Catherine Vinegarin from Denver goes to college in Chicago. She enjoyed the festivities with friends from school. Well, the past two years with COVID definitely made it different because there was less to do. But now everything's back alive and there's a lot more to do and enjoy. So Happy holidays! Jenea Arbuckle and her family are grateful to have her brother back this holiday season. Her brother serves at a marine base in California. We haven't been able to see him for the holidays, you know, the past year, so it's nice having him around. Merry Christmas! Erica Palanco-Webb said the event kicks off the holidays for her. For the holidays, we're kicking it off with this uh, event, and then we're going to gather at my house um, and have family over, so it's going to be really fun because we haven't really done something big, you know, since the pandemic. At night, the Grand Marshals Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse led the extravagant tree lighting parade. Spectators cheered on floats donned with holiday lights and performers. The parade concluded with Santa Claus riding in his reindeer sleigh and fireworks. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago.
Christmas time in Paris. The tourist hotspot Champs-Élysées turned up its holiday spirit on Sunday. The city celebrates the season with chandelier lights lining the popular avenue. Paris Mayor Annie Dalgo and actor Tahar Rahim pushed the button and lit up the city. Parisians and tourists alike made the most of the night, filling the streets to watch a holiday marching band and fireworks. Energy-efficient light globes sparkled in trees lighting up the avenue, leading to the Arc de Triomphe. The lights display will run until January 2nd, a week less than previous years due to energy concerns in Europe. You have to have some joy in life, and this just brings, I mean, listen, I mean, how many people are here? It's just brought us all together. I think it's, I, I definitely think it's worth it. We should keep Christmas as is, even if times are hard, even if we are aware of the international situation, even if we can see what is happening in Europe, what's happening with the climate, what's happening everywhere. We have to keep a moment of shared, collective joy, of wonder, and I'm thinking about our children as well, as tourists who are our guests. Beautiful. It's really starting to feel like Christmas, isn't it? So what you're saying is, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Exactly that, yes. Everywhere <laughs> you go. <laughs> so wait, seriously, what do you like to do over Christmas? Oh, you know, I really just like how the city looks. The lights, the vibe, I love it. Amazing. I love ice skating. I really want to go this year. Oh, yeah, you should. You should. That's definitely a good thing to do at the Rockefeller Center. Ah, yeah, good yeah. point. And it's one of those celebrations that brings families together. You know what I mean? It's just a great time of year. That's true. That's true. That's why we all love it, the Christmas spirits. All right, we're ending the today's show here. Write us an email at goodmorning at ntd.com. If you have any feedback or ideas you'd like to share, thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.